first episode we've ever done on uh, Skype, Ken. This is Sean okay. Donnelly, my co-host. Welcome to My Dumb Friends, Ken. Ken, and her, Ken, Ken Anderson is on our show, uh, former TNA world champion, United States champion, and Money in the Bank winner, and uh, and he's going to Comic-Con. But all that old bullshit. All that, all that bullshit. Yeah, I went, I, went, I went to the New York one, and it was uh, the first year I did it, we were doing a stand-up show where we got like a scathing review, and there were all these like... 25 year old like fat korean boys dressed as like lady cats <laughs> what was, the hell i swear to god they're wearing these stupid cat hats Why? like hello kitty shit oh they're uh, wearing hello kitty stuff yeah i don't understand that hello kitty shit i don't, I don't get it either for or for guys it's like weird. you see that stuff and you're like you know what kids should still be bullied you know I, I agree sometimes i mean that's one of those things like i couldn't and which I'm one i'm pretty accepting but if my who? son comes through the door with a fucking Hello Kitty hat on, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna Curtains. bully him. Who uh, who gave you the bad review when you did it? Some blogger asshole. <laughs> what do you? Well, you get you. Can you no, mean a guy who's never done anything in his life? He's never done anything in his life. <laughs> you you hope that, but then like you look at the bottom and it's like from Woody Allen. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, what uh, um, do you? You probably get some real weirdos coming up to you at these things, right? Oh, that's the best part about going to Comic-Con is uh, just people watching, you know? I yeah. Mean, my favorite one at the last Comic-Con, I went to the Chicago Comic-Con a few months ago, and it was uh, a man, a bearded man, dressed as Princess Peach from Super Mario Brothers. It was you sure it wasn't Dan? It might have been Dan. <laughs> Maybe you didn't recognize him because he had the Peach hat on. Do you have, like, do you have, like, do you have, like, super stalkers that come up to you there? Um, not really. I mean, you know. It's. I, I wish I could say yes, but right. <laughs> wrestling just isn't what it was a, a few years ago. You know, ten years ago, there were probably. I mean, I wouldn't be doing Comic Con because, you know, you, you talk to the old timers. The old timers being guys like Bully Ray, who have been through the Attitude Era, and they say yeah. that it was basically just rock star treatment everywhere you went. You know. Yeah, nothing is like how it used to be. I think anywhere. You know what I mean? This is true. This is true. And with the advent of social media, I think uh, celebrity has been really tuned down a notch. Well, yeah, well, it makes it it makes it accessible. It makes like you can reach out and contact your favorite celebrity. Yeah. Yep. And you can trash talk them right to their right. face, basically. Yeah. yeah. Also, like as a comic, and I'm, I'm sure probably you have to compete with this too. Like nothing that I can do is as funny as. A cat hitting somebody in the balls. Do you on, know what I mean? On a video, you mean? Yeah, like we have this oh. now where it's like, well, why would I go pay for you to see your special? And I'm wondering too if that happens sometimes with the wrestling with all the backyard wrestling, where it's like, yeah, I know you guys have been doing this for years and years, but I just want to see somebody fall through a flaming table that they did in their backyard. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's. Yeah, but and this is, I'm probably biased, but at the end of the day, when you can go see that, and you watch about five minutes of that, and you're like, okay, I've seen enough. But it keeps fucking going on and on and on. You know what I'm saying? Those backyard wrestling shows last three and a half hours long. Yeah. Yeah. And no, you only I, wanted to I, see five minutes of, you know, tables and light tubes and thumbtacks and all that crap. I just don't think people have patience anymore. I just, like, even for a comedy show now, like, the idea of a comedy show being more than an hour and a half 
for me. Well, I, a comedy show really shouldn't be more than an it hour. It should and be half. more, but I think yeah. like people's attention span was like so much. Different. Oh no, they give up at hour and thirty one. They're they're done. Yeah. So how do you explain? Because this is one of my big pet peeves right now. Is that movies? Movies are now uh, going three three and a half hours long. What what's the deal with that? It's uh, I don't know. I have no idea. You know what I think? I think there's got to be so much like. When you look at a Transformer, like some big Transformer, some big piece of shit like that, mm-hmm. you have like, I'm sure there's like, there's like all these empresarios within the movie like, oh, well, the, the guy who's working, uh, the pyrotechnics is milking you for this much, so they need to have at least this oh, scene yeah. to show that so oh, that guy yeah. gets his money. But I think what happens with movies is, and they don't even give a shit what they do with the movie because what they're looking for is the best possible trailer. All they need... Apparently, all they want is five trailer moments, mm. and if they can get you, they can get you. They they get you in. They don't care if they have you sitting there for a three three and a half hours on a shitty movie because you already paid for your ticket, you know, and you're gonna keep coming back. I guess you're right. Yeah. You need like the last Superman, years. you watched the last Superman. It was awful. It was unwatchable. Yeah. It was awful, and people like, and you get mixed reviews from people. You get people like, it was pretty good. It was pretty. I'm like, no, it was, yeah. it was unwatchable. Oh, terrible. Yeah, like even even good movies. That go way too long just drive me insane. Like Avatar, I thought Avatar was really, you know, it was a good movie. It was entertaining, and then about two and a half hours in, I'm like, take it home. I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I think everything just needs to be two hours. The Maybe. comedy equivalent of that is like is like Dean Cook showing us up somewhere and doing six hours on the Laugh Factory yeah. stage or something like that. Like where it's. Or the comedy store or something like that, where you're like, all right, we get, like, you're, this is just a marathon now. I was so excited. I followed Dane in LA and he did 15 minutes and I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. I, I, I had to follow, I didn't follow him, but he was on the same show as uh, Drew Carey. And Drew Carey went up and did 15 minutes and got off. It was yeah. pretty impressive. I was like, wow, good for you. I saw Dane Cook here in Minneapolis and uh, I was kind of surprised because his whole thing was. Like about an hour long, and nobody he, he, nobody opened for him. That was it. it was just yeah, it. came out, told some jokes, went back, came out, did an encore, told some religious jokes, and then phew, gone. That's, yeah, that's good. Yeah, he's good. You're, speaking of religious, if you're, uh, how's your atheist podcast going? It's pretty good, man. Um, you know, we're reaching out to a different audience than. Oh sure. Yes. I would is say is my there any is there audience? any crossover where it's like you get guys get pit, the wrestling guys get pissed over it or? Well, the interesting thing is that just about everybody in my life, my friends, my family, the guys that I work with, are all devout Christians. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's and, what I mean. Yeah, and so we don't. A lot of times we don't talk about it. You know, it just goes unsaid. Yeah. Um, it's like it's the most, it's like the bar rule: no politics, no religion. Yeah, which I kind of think sucks. To be yeah. honest with you, because yeah. look, I mean, these are the most important things in most people's lives, religion yeah. and politics, and we're not allowed to talk about them. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So that's why I wanted to do this podcast, because I felt like whenever I did bring these things up, it always ended up in a heated debate and somebody ended up walking away butthurt over it. And I wanted to show that we can sit down, we can have opposing views and talk about this stuff and, you know, right. not, not necessarily come to any kind of conclusion, but... At least we can talk about it. So. Now, now, do you identify as an atheist or as an agnostic more? Uh, a- atheist. I, okay. I, like yeah. straight up, like definitively there is nothing, yeah. Well, no, I guess that that's sort of a common misconception, I guess, within um, like a lot of Christians will misdiagnose, uh, I guess. Um, a- atheist just says, an atheist 
just simply says, I haven't been presented with enough evidence to believe. I, therefore, I don't, you know, belief is active. You either believe in something or you don't. Yeah. I, I'm saying that there is a possibility that something exists out there that we could call a God. Um, a God I just, I just don't find any evidence that compels me to believe in that. Probably. Right. No, I, I hear you. I, uh, actually, you know, our, this comedian in New York, really hilarious comedian, Kurt Metzger, he had a funny, he had this really, I forget, funny bit about uh, uh, Born Again. Like, he did rock stars and wrestlers and how Lex Luger is doing the Pat Robertson yeah. circuit now. And he was just like, yeah, now you can be Born Again Christian when you're in your 50s. But when you were in your late 30s just doing blow off of strippers, you weren't thinking about that. <laughs> right. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that, you know, that, that happens to, I guess. <laughs> Ex-wrestlers who are now, Mark Miro's a... I follow him on Instagram, and he, he drives me insane. <laughs> what, is he, what does he put on Instagram? It's just he goes around to all these different churches and, you know, puts on these. I guess he's a public speaker now, and he's a he's a motivational speaker, but it's all Christian-based. And I remember a few months ago, he put a post on Instagram that just about caused me to have an aneurysm. Um, it wasn't. <laughs> where it was a it was a shot of his backyard and it was this beautiful view of the ocean, his oceanfront property, and he had a pool and lush green yard, rolling yard, and he said something about how God has put all this stuff into his life, and I was, you know, I immediately posted something, and I, and I never called him out specifically, but I posted a picture of all the people lined up in ditches over in Iraq getting shot in the head, <laughs> and I said, you know, it's funny how God is busy. God apparently is too busy to help these people out because he's giving Americans pools and cars and all kinds of other crap. Yeah, he was too busy. He was too busy. The wild man, Mark Mara. Sean's not a wrestling fan, but he used to have a, a dirty handlebar mustache. And a fucking, <laughs> you know who he looked like? What did he look like? He looked like Freddie Mercury, right? He looked like, <laughs> yeah, he looked like a gayer version of Freddie Mercury. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's at all possible. Does he still have it. Well, he had he had tights, and he would have handprints on his ass. Oh, really? Looking like a like yeah, like somebody was like squeezing his ass. <laughs> and he was his 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 valet was Sable, who became this. It's like huge star is now married to Brock Lesnar. It's like his version of the footprints poem with God, but on his ass. <laughs> the, like, yeah, on his the entire time, God was holding my ass. <laughs> I don't think he had been saved at that point. Though. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, the ass thing. I don't think. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one. Big um, no no in God's eyes. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. You don't. I, I'm pretty sure Vince McMahon doesn't believe in God. That's the only person. You and Vince, are, I think, are the only ones. And you, from a reasoning point of view, and from him, because I think he actually believes he is God. <laughs> Did you ever see when he wrestled God? Oh, that's that's right. Is that really? Come on, God, where are you? <laughs> It was Vince had like a, for Shawn Michaels. They had in the ring, and they had this beam of light that started out on the top of the ramp and followed it all the way down to the ramp. And oh, got shut it. up. Oh, yeah. And then he beat God, right? Oh, I can't even remember how I it went. But I just Shawn remember him, come on, God, God where are you? <laughs> Shawn, Michaels, Shawn Michaels is another one who fucked, like, probably great, like one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, but fucked everybody. And then after and then it was like found, fun, yeah. it was like, Oh, yeah, but I found God now. It's like, yeah, of course, you've already fucked everyone. <laughs> you've done every drug there is to yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> Church is wild for you. Yeah, exactly. Church, oh, Church is crazy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I was actually wondering, 
Because, you know, when you when you came around, I mean, not because I was doing a little research last night, um, but when you came around, like, really kind of for your official uh, WWE run, you had a great, I mean, your character was great already, which is probably an extension of yourself to some degree, but, you know, with not nearly as much hubris or anything like that. But were you saddled, like, did creative ever pitch stuff to you when you started out that you're like, this is the dumbest thing that I've ever heard of in my entire, I've, there's no way that I'm going to walk through with this gimmick. Well, it's funny you say that. So when I when I got to WWE, I was I was at OVW and I got called up to do. And just for our listeners who don't know, wrestling Ohio Valley wrestling was is the training ground for WWE. It was the training ground at that time with Jim Cornette, right? And yeah, it's like the AAA to the WWE. And uh, for those baseball fans out there, I'm not a baseball fan. I just found out that AAA is right before the majors. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So anyway, I'm at OBW, and they call me and say they need you at uh, SmackDown this week. They want to take a look at you. Now I had just been started. I had just started working with Paul Heyman down at OVW. Um, Paul Heyman was very famously kind of got ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling off the ground and into the mainstream. Um, sort of changed wrestling to what it is today. And, if, um, if someone's a, he's like P.T. Barnum with a weird ponytail at the time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm working with him, and he sort of let me really um, evolve and just let me just – he would give me uh, bullet points and say, just go out there and have fun. And, and that was really what I needed. And um, so I, I went up to WWE to do this sort of tryout, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I did well. And so I came back, and uh, you know, they, they said, you've been hired you're going to start next week. So I started doing shows and then about two weeks later, so I'm doing these shows and I'm not really, I haven't talked to anybody yet. I haven't talked to anybody in creative and I haven't talked to Vince himself. Yeah. And so I'm just kind of floating and you know, I'm having squash matches where I just go out there and whoop somebody's ass and got a few minutes. And, um, finally John Laurinaitis, who was head of talent relations at the time came up to me and he said, uh, Hey Kenny, uh, Vince wants to have a meeting with you today. And uh, he said, you got to come up with a new name because you got to change your name from Mr. Anderson. And because uh, I had started using the Mr. Anderson thing when I was yeah. in OVW. And, uh, so when I finally went into the room, um, I, I, I should remind, I actually called Paul Heyman and I said, Paul, what should I do? He wants me to change my name. I don't want to change my name. I want to be Mr. Anderson. And he said, well, uh, he said, when we started, you know, pitching some ideas around, and he finally said, uh, Kennedy. He said, Kennedy is uh, Vince's middle name. If he gives you that, he loves you. And so I went into Vince's office, and I sat down and started having this meeting, and he said, uh, you know, do you have any, uh, do you have any names in mind? Or do you, he said, do you have any catchphrases? And I said, well, my catchphrase that I've been using is nice guys finish last, Thank God I'm an asshole. Yeah. And he said, well, we can't use that on our show. It's can't a family show. Part. Yeah. Family show, and, you know, network will frown upon it. And then Johnny Ace said, uh, well, you know, your name could be like, like your last name could be Hole, and your first name could be Adam. So you could say, thank God I'm an a-hole. <laughs> He was pitching you as asshole. <laughs> right. And, uh, and Vince, 
sort of looked at Johnny and he looked over at me without moving his head, you know, and, and he said, what do you think, Ken? <laughs> it was almost like a test. Like I knew he was testing me right at that moment. What do you think about Are that? you an idiot, Ken? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Are you fucking stupid? <laughs> Which he's been known to do. Um, and, uh, and I said, well, that's a great idea, but, um, I sort of feel like that's one of those names that somebody who just kind of is a flash in the pan and is only around for a few months has. Venus kind of name. And I am looking forward to being here for several years. So, and Vince just kind of nodded like that, a boy. And then, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I pitched Kennedy and so it became Kennedy. He liked it. So there you go. So you almost started out as a hole. A hole, right. <laughs> God. Adam Hole. Adam Hole. Adam Hole <laughs> sounds like, even worse than that. Sounds like a, like a gay porn star. That's all it sounds <laughs> yeah. like. Adam Hole. Adam Hole, and this butt's for you. <laughs> wrestling. Only in wrestling. <laughs> yeah, Adam Hole is. Yeah, that, that. thank God he didn't get saddled with that. That must have been a trip, too, because when you started out, you know, you were talking about squash matches there, and you, like, similar to the Hardys and Foley. And Mick Foley, you kind of had the thing where you came originally for like, I guess, I guess in the early 2000s where you were doing the one where you were getting squashed. And then you came back with this huge push. Yeah, how how was it like jumping back and forth, like seeing it from those eyes, seeing it from like the eyes of the, I guess, typical jobber. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, now I'm the guy who's jobbing people out, you know? Well, you know, I, I did that for five years, basically. And I would go and I remember I would work with Arn Anderson a lot. And Arn, you know, Arn would always be the one that would be assigned to my match when I was the one getting squashed. I was working with Arn Anderson, by the way. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah, he's great. And and he would always say, uh, kid, tonight is not your night. It's his night. Whoever that person was that I was working with. Yeah. He would say, it's his night tonight. Uh, One day it'll be your night, but not tonight. And so I always remembered that, you know. uh, And then... When I got there and I was the one doing those squash matches, yeah. again, Arn Anderson was the one who was now in my corner basically working for me. And he would say the same thing to those young guys that were basically trying out. And, uh, and, and you know, I, I would ask him, what do you want me to do? And he's like, uh, I want you to go out there and uh, fucking kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would always... Um, I knew what it was like being in that position. And, uh, and so I really didn't have a problem squashing those guys. Cause when it was me in that position, I didn't care. Like I, I was there to make that other guy look good. Yeah. And it's, so I would always have that sort of conversation with the, with the uh, independent guy that was there on the tryout. And I would say, look, man, I, I did this and uh, I will do everything to make you look good as much as I can. But you know, I'm the one that's in this position right now. So right. everybody was cool. We're building me up. We're not putting on a Matt Classic right now. Right, right, okay. exactly. Was there, was there ever a time when those guys' ego ego creeps in and those guys try to show up the big guys, the jobber guys? It's very rare. And yeah. uh, if that ever happens true. where somebody tries to, you know, no-sell something, you know, if they get punched and they don't sell it. Right, like subtle. Um, it's very subtle. It's, it's subtle, but but we pick up on it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the fans might not pick up on it, but the boys always pick up on it. 
And in those situations, those guys are escorted out of the building really quickly, or they're just not invited back again. Wow. You know, so, and, and that's pretty well known within the business. So we sort of, in, in that sense, we police our own. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I must be such a stressful, you know, you and I were talking about it. We're, uh, I guess by the time this comes out, we're a little backward. We're going to be on a sketch show. Myself and Mr. Anderson, Ken Anderson, are going to be on the same sketch show, Friends of the People, oh, with nice. Roddy, Roddy Piper, who I still have no idea whether or not he was heckling me or wanted to kill me during that sketch, <laughs> Ken. Uh, what do you mean? Well, the whole, like, he was just like, he was like right behind me when I was doing that scene with you. And, uh, he was just talking shit apparently the whole time. <laughs> and like to the point of like where Jermaine started yelling like, uh, who's on the show? Jermaine Fowler. He starts yelling like, oh, Roddy Piper doesn't think you can act for shit, St. Jermaine. <laughs> I was like, was my childhood I, hero? I'm like, positive <laughs> that he was just talking shit. Well, I have no this... idea because there was that point too where we were there and it was like, you know, Roddy's a, you know, he's a fucking, he's a good actor and he's, he's a uh, wrestling legend. But you know, the guy's bit the guy's older and he's been through a lot. And uh, you know, in the middle of it he sat on a prop chair and the prop Ooh. chair just kind of exploded and there was this <laughs> awkward thing where no one knew whether or not to help pick him up because we didn't know I didn't know like everyone's like, should we help? And he's like, nah, no, nah, I'm fine, I'm fine. Yeah. It's, it's no, like yeah, I remember I remember that. I was sitting right there when it happened and um, it was uh my I guess diagnosis of the situation was He's fine. I'm just going to let him alone. I'm not even going to bother. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It had that feeling of like, don't get between Nick Nolte and his cigarettes. You know what I mean? Uh, but, uh, like it happens more than once a week. Like it's like, yeah, like yeah. It's regular. I, I forget even what we were fucking talking about right now. But, uh, God damn, I'm, I've totally lost my, this is our sick. Too many chair shots. Too many chair shots. Too many chair I'm, shots. I'm, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just saying it must be a landmark. It must be like crazy navigating through all that like ba backstage pile. I mean, cause you know, we have a, I have a buddy of mine who used to write for it, Andrew Goldstein and then Matt yeah. McCarthy used to write for it. These guys I both knew. And yeah, Andrew's a good friend of mine. Oh yeah. He's a good dude. Right. It, he would yeah. just be like, you'd say something backstage and you wouldn't even realize like you, as you would say it, it would just get silent. And you realize, like, holy shit, did I just step on a landmine and I didn't even fucking realize what's going on? What, yeah. as a writer, you mean he said that? He's a writer, but I'm wondering, if, is that the same thing as a wrestler there? Would you, like, all of a sudden, like, Goldstein's, I guess, example was that he complimented the American badass version of The Undertaker. Yeah. And it just got silent backstage because <laughs> apparently Vince hated that version of The Undertaker. He's, he's like, the, basically, so Vince is like the Lord Michaels of wrestling. Yeah. He's like the uh, or the kid in the or the kid in the Twilight Zone who can just wish things. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he gets these things in his head that he doesn't like, and he doesn't like them. For, he'll he'll love something. Um, like for a while, he was like, every time you go out there, I want you to smile. Ah, yeah, smile. They want to see those teeth. And so I would go out there and I would I'd smile a little bit, you know, and then I'd come back and you're like, you weren't smiling enough. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see those choppers. <laughs> and so so then the next time I'd go out there and I would literally, I would feel like such a dumbass because I would be grinning ear to ear, like almost to the point where I wanted to put Vaseline on my teeth. Yeah. And then I'd come back. Damn it. Where was that smile? <laughs> <laughs> and, just, and then... That went on for a few months and then stop smiling, damn it. Why are you always smiling? 
<laughs> it's crazy. However, whatever side of the bed that man gets up on, that's his. Wow. It's crazy. Whatever the part of the bat cave that guy awakens from. And he just has carte blanche. Whatever he says just goes. Just yeah, and people it. just cower in his presence. And pe- oh, oh, yeah. You know, they won't say, like, because you've been freaking telling me to do it for so long. <laughs> They'll just say, I don't know why I'm doing that. I don't know why I'm smiling. Because I'm stupid, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're stupid. Damn it. <laughs> it's just oh, it's, so it's insane crazy. that, like, because, you know, every day you're getting beaten up, you know, to some extent. And then also you have to deal with all these fucking office mind games on top yeah. of that. I mean, it just yeah. sounds, it, it sounds like exhausting. They should do an office politics angle on the show, <laughs> on the on wrestling. Yeah. Do they do that kind of? Kind of yeah. now. I think they did it. I think they did it a little while ago with uh, Johnny Ace and CM Punk and those guys. But I mean, they didn't really get into the real politics of, of wrestling. Yeah, have them and all I guess suits. from my perspective, I think if you... Now, I'm going to say this. Um, this is how I felt when I first got there was that if I'm just me and I'm not an asshole in real life and I just treat people with respect and I work hard, everything's going to be okay, right? And I mean, for the most part, for a while, that, that's pretty much what it was. And then people start to say stuff and you, you, you do have to navigate those landmines and you have to be careful what you say around who and yeah, it's like any job. It's like, it's any, like any job, really. Yeah. yeah. And how, how's working at TNA compared to that? There are no politics, really. It's just, um, no, you know, we don't always agree with what we're told to do. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I always, I, I don't watch or, or read any reviews anymore. I stopped doing that about six years ago yeah. when I was at WWE because, I mean, a lot of times the the criticisms that we get are stuff that we agree with, you know. And at the end of the day, we're we're employees. And if your freaking boss tells you to go put on a tutu and ride a unicycle out to the ring, you either get a new job or you put on the tutu and ride the unicycle out to the ring. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there yeah. is a choice there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, a lot of times, but as far as like politics goes, um. We're all, we all feel like we're in it together. Everybody gets along for the most part. I mean, really, I, I can't think of anybody that, there's nobody in that locker room that I don't like or don't feel that I get along with. Um, we don't, you know, there are times where we don't see necessarily eye to eye, but we talk it out and yeah. hash it out and it's all good. So so it's a much different vibe. It is. It's, it's much more laid back. It's not stressful. Um, when I get, you know, I used to, when I was at WWE, I was rolling five days a week to seven days, five to seven days a week. When we do overseas tours, we were gone for sometimes two weeks at a, at a time. So, um, but five days a week minimum. And I remember, uh, you know, getting so stressed out when I'd have to go back out on the road just because it was just all the mind games and that mental, just that anxiety that I would get. Um, before I'd go back to work. And I don't get that anymore. I, I enjoy going to work. I mean, I, it sucks to have to leave my wife and my kids. Right. But um, I, I enjoy what I do, and I enjoy the people that I work with. Yeah. Well, it's just funny, too, because, like, you know, like, compared to now, it just seems like they have all these, like, internet dirt sheets, and everybody bitches about everybody on there. And you could probably find, if you want to find a negative story about somebody, 
and wrestling, you can find it if you just Google search it. But you look compared to that and to like what some of the guys in the late '80s and like now it's like, oh, this person, you know, uh, this person apparently was prissy backstage with this one angle. A buzzing in the late '80s were like. This guy got high off coke and beat the shit out of a bellhop in Japan. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's a story of uh, of uh, well, back back in those days, back in the old days, um, in the '70s and '80s. If you were a wrestler and you were in a bar and somebody challenged you to a fight and you didn't whoop the shit out of that person, you were you were done. You were done. Jesus. Ostracized, shunned, blackballed. That's it. Um, I remember hearing a story uh, from Haku where he was in a bar and some guy came up to him and was like, hey, man, you're one of them wrestlers, ain't you? You do that fake stuff on TV. And he he was like, ah, just leave me alone. I'm just trying to have a good time with my friends. Never say anything intimidating to a guy who's just got one name. (laughs) Haku, right? Well, Haku is considered by most to be the toughest guy to ever (laughs) Lace up a pair of boots ever in our haku, in the rest. Was that a poem? Was that one of those poems? <laughs> yeah. That's one of them hakus. <laughs> five seven five. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and so basically, this guy followed him around the bar. He kept moving from you know just he was trying to get away from this guy. And uh, the guy's like, "Whoa, what are you gonna do? One of them body slams on me? You gonna give me a souple?" And uh, he's you know kept mentioning that. Wrestling was fake. Wrestling's fake. Wrestling's fake. And so Haku grabbed him by the face and he said, allow me to show you just how fake it is. <laughs> and I bit the tip of his nose off and spit it in his face. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. Yep. Just, just, yeah. So. And now, and yeah. And now it's you- like. I just Did you imagine doing that to somebody today? No, it'd be over. I have that interspliced now in my head of like, Kofi Kingston playing PS3 in his hotel room. <laughs> and how much has changed. Yeah, playing Guitar Hero. Yeah, playing Guitar Hero. It's just somebody who's a fucking criminal. That's amazing. Um, now, you know, like, I guess we asked this when comics were on the uh, show a lot. And I guess, you know, because I used to do this, I would make so many, like, I would try to make these bold choices when I started stand-up, like, when I first started out, I, like, did a character that was basically ripping, ripping off Mitch Hedberg, and then I did one where I tried to do this, like, puppet show thing, and they're both, like, pretty much, glor- like, pretty big failures, and luckily it kind of helped me at least set forth to, like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Have no. you had that moment as a, when, when you started out with wrestling where you're, like, like you tried one direction, you're just like, oh, that was a, that was a terrible fucking idea. Let me go this other way. For instance, we had a, a comic on here, Dante Nero, who was actually a stripper back in the day, and he made a lot of money. But his first gimmick was a deli worker. He was the butcher. He was the butcher, and it just made no and he, money at and all. And he would come out with a salami. <laughs> just oh my god! Awful. But yeah, when you were like uh, starting out, like I guess similar to like you know like when a comic has a first, like you know like a lot of people say like Bill Burr started like doing Brian Regan before he became Bill Burr. Oh, is that what did he did? You, yeah, that's yeah. what like, a lot of people say. Do you, do you have oh. that? When you started out, where you were like, oh. "All right, well, let me try this," this or this obviously isn't going well, right now. I mean, I mean, I obviously had stinkers like anybody else, but yeah. I guess for me, I was always drawn to the guys like Steve Austin, Rock, um, Hulk Hogan, who were just larger extensions of you could you could tell that 
those people were those people that you saw in the ring weren't far removed from their real life personas. Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, and while I was entertained by a lot of gimmicks and stuff, I, I've always been I've always felt like wrestling's you know Baskin Robbins ice cream a flavor for everyone. Um, and and I, while I'm entertained by those gimmicks, I necess- I wasn't like I don't want to do a gimmick. I just want to be me. I just want to be a um, and, and I would listen to, you know, those guys that I looked up to like Steve Austin. And when he would talk about his character and how he came to be that particular character, Stone Cold Steve Austin, he would say, I'm just me with the volume turned up. And so I always sort yeah. of had that as my guide, guiding light. So it's actually speak. a good parallel to a stand-up. There's a lot of stand-ups the same exact way. Really? We had a yeah. – yeah, you don't want to be stuck with um... – that uh, with like you know, it's so it's it's just so sad. Sometimes you see like for instance, you see a dude like Hornswoggle, who's you know he's a little person who they dress as a leprechaun in no. WWE, and then you hear. I think I've seen Hornswoggle. Yeah, you see him yeah. off stage, and uh, uh, can actually fucking like I guess you can you can Tom bombed him off a ladder at yeah. WrestleMania. Yep. yep, yep. Fucking, we all cheered when that happened. <laughs> I can't believe that guy's still alive. Is he still around in wrestling? Yeah, he is, and he's yeah. so well spoken. Yeah, outside of the ring, and it's so sad because, like, when he started out, they wouldn't let him speak, and he would just mm. nibble at people's feet. <laughs> it's, like, it's like after after you Ken Tom Bonham, Bonham gets up, and he just reads from War and right. Peace. This guy talked way. This guy talks way better than Roman Reigns does. The best part about that for me was that was at WrestleMania twenty three. We're in front of we're at Ford Field in front of like eighty one thousand people, and uh, you know I I was standing on top of the ladder and I grab him on my shoulders and I dive off the ladder on top of him, and when he hit the mat he bounced and he rolled over to the to the apron like he rolled out under the bottom rope, and he's laying on the apron and I was kind of near him and I just kind of under my breath I said, "You okay?" And he goes. <laughs> he goes. Yeah, buddy, I'm fine. You, <laughs> you know, like it's just, like surreal. It's like it's like it, 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 it's like two different worlds. He was so happy that he just got his gut squashed out. You know? Yeah, I got to show you this video. It's crazy. But I always thought that's so sad where you have a guy who, like, and this is the one thing about yes, Vince McMahon's a racist, but he's just as racist to his own people because you cannot get a more racist stereotype of an Irishman than someone who can't even speak English dressed as a leprechaun who bites you. <laughs> Just have him steal a firstborn baby. Yeah, they were yeah. so close to that. <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin. Rumpelstiltskin, yeah. Yeah, it was like literally this terrifying Irish caricature. <laughs> um, it was a leprechaun. He was a leprechaun that hid underneath the ring. And what does he do now? Same character? Same, yeah, but now he can talk. Now he's allowed to talk. Well, they brought in another little person who's dressed as a, as a bull who they oh have them God. fight against each other. Well, I'm sure that guy's probably a Rhodes Scholar, but we won't know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that guy, he'll, yeah, he'll talk to you about NATO as soon as he's <laughs> done. But they literally have him wind up like a bull to fight. That's his move? That's his best yeah, move? Yeah, he, well, he's dressed as a little bull. It's like that Minotaur guy that you told me Yeah, well, we, we were talking about man Because you know uh, David Shoemaker? He was yeah. on our last podcast. He, he does his ESPN podcast uh, called Cheapy with guy from Hot 97. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, what do you, when you were, um, when you were, what do you think, like, this is an interesting question because we had this with, uh, we were talking to Shoemaker about this. What do you think is the dumbest angle that you've ever seen in wrestling? Ooh, 
there have been a lot of dumb angles, right? Yeah. <laughs> we went through a couple before this. I, I think uh, the one that like kind of pops into my mind right away is um, the May Young, Mark Henry, uh, where <laughs> oh, she was, I remember Young that. got pregnant at 87 or whatever. And she know, was like 85 old. years old, too. Yeah. And she gave birth to a hand. <laughs> <laughs> That would that's up there. That's definitely up there. Did they ever explain uh, why she why it's a hand? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think that was one of those things like we don't know how to end this. We don't know how to end this. And Vince just said, Wouldn't it be funny if she gave birth to a hand? <laughs> like, you got it, boss. That's brilliant. That's gold, boss. You got it. Yeah. And nobody was there to say, uh, that might not be such a great idea. I don't know. Oh. Let me ask you this. What's the fart situation in that ring? A lot of farts going on? Oh, yeah, sometimes, That's a you weird know. question, but I always wondered that. You sometimes get squashed and they got, you know, like I, I gave somebody a, I can't remember who it was a few months ago. I gave somebody my finishing move or one of my finishers. And it's basically the, like what I was just talking about giving to Hornswoggle off the ladder. I just do it standing in the ring. And uh, the guy was like, I just farted. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was James Storm. <laughs> I like, you know, it's a <laughs> <laughs> This probably doesn't happen on There's, TV. There are stories, there are horror stories of guys actually pooping themselves. Oh, uh, yeah, that's got it. During happen. a match. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. And in our business, the show must go on. So, yeah. you got to wrestle with uh, full, full drawers. Oh. I was reading, I remember I was reading Foley's book years ago, and it was, uh, he would talk about, like, I mean, obviously this wouldn't happen on TV shows, but. Especially if you're in a ring with somebody funny who's like Bully Ray or something. If you guys are at like a house show or a non-tape show, do you ever like try to like, like try to like make the person break? Because Foley talks about like Owen Hart would do that all the time, where he would Always. try to make him break. A lot on live show, you say, or tape? Yeah, just like fuck with him in the match so he makes the guy <laughs> crack up. Yeah, like our, Owen Hart used to. Uh, one of the one of the funny things I remember about Owen was, you know, and I never got the chance to work with him, obviously, but what guys tell me about him is that like he would go to send a guy off the ropes and he would go like and the guy would go what because you know normally it's like hey duck a clothesline take yeah. a clothesline or something like that yeah. you know? and he would go and the guy would go what you go just fucking do it and then the guy's like coming off the ropes not knowing what's coming his way or you know the classic uh, somebody would have him in a hold and he would act like he was smoking a cigarette you know so the guy be uh, would have him in like a sharpshooter or something like that, where the the guy putting him in the hold would have his back to his, to him, and he would be behind him just acting like he was smoking a cigarette instead of selling the move. Like, <laughs> but we try to make each other laugh all the time. It is my it is my goal in every match. Have you made somebody break before? Yeah, it's usually uh, um, I can't remember specifics, but it's just like. I, I do stupid little stuff uh, like this last week we were in Louisville, Kentucky and uh, we're in a six man tag. So it's three teams. And uh, I, one of the guys like spit at me. So I acted like I was getting in the ring and the ref came to get me out. And I just, you know, I screamed something and the ref started laughing at me and turned away. I try to make Earl Hebner laugh. Every match that I'm in, and 
he's a good one to, to, to make laugh. Greatest referee of all time. He's, he's phenomenal. He's such a sweetheart. I love that, man. You know, a lot of times, like, he'll, uh, like, like referees in a lot of ways will call, and not, not call the matches, but at least keep it time-wise, right? It's like, all right, yeah, he's going to wrap and, this up. Um, a lot of times, though, especially with, uh, they're just as much a part of the match as we are. Um, yeah. They'll relay information. If, if the guy's across the ring, I can say something to the referee, go tell him this, and he'll go tell him that, and then he, we just communicated, you know, um, a little game of telephone. And uh, I still don't know how, like, you guys just don't fuck up all the time. It still sounds like so much work. Well, we do. Well, that's the beauty of it. I I think we do fuck up, and it's just like improv or stand-up. Like, you're you're live. You can't fuck up. You just, you got to figure out a way to roll with it. You roll with it, yeah. You know? And sometimes you you fail miserably. Yeah. Unfortunately, like I just screwed up and I don't know how to fix this. <laughs> like it would take it would take a royal fuck up for the audience to actually notice that something's off step, I think. Like it would have to be a complete shutdown of the match almost. Yeah, and that's usually when we end up when we come back and we are talking over what we just did and a lot of times, you know, oh, I'm sorry I screwed up this one spot. And usually the answer to that is, you know what? Nobody knew that we screwed up. The only people that know that we screwed up is us. Right, yeah. So, yeah, you yeah. know the moves. They don't know what right. moves you're supposed to do. Yeah. yeah, they don't know what they were There's supposed no to do. There's no big shock master. Has, <laughs> has there been a moment in the middle of the match, in a match that you've been in, where it's like, where somebody in the ring just fucks something up so bad that it's like almost like a plot, not even an injury thing, but more of like a, well, shit, we need this to happen plot-wise. Like, this is an example of this. This was like a, I think I talked about this on the show once. There was a production of Othello in my uh, college, and this dude lost... The guy who's playing Othello lost the dagger, so he decided to then crack his neck on stage like an action hero. What? Then had to do a monologue after killing himself. He forgot that there was another part of the monologue. So it was this intense crack neck thing, and then he had to deliver the monologue. Did he drop? Did he drop? He dropped, and then he did the monologue. But has there ever happened where you're like, holy shit, like, fuck, why isn't he here yet? Do you know what I mean? You've had, like, those moments. Well, that that's happened. I was um, I was wrestling in a match with Samoa Joe, and this was probably three three and a half years ago. And uh, somebody who shall remain nameless was supposed to come to the ring, and uh, Joe was going to have me in his in his hold. Yeah. And then um, he was going to be choking me out from behind. At which point, this guy was supposed to come up, get up on the apron. Joe was going to let me go, go to the guy on the apron. And then I was supposed to when, – when he turned back to me, I was going to hit him with my finisher. And I – Joe's got me in this hold, and I'm looking up the ramp, and I'm seeing this guy standing at the top of the ramp. And uh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for him to come. And I'm like, he's not coming. And I looked up, and I'm, I'm sort of giving him the, come on, man, you know, with my hand. <laughs> yeah. Trying not to make it look obvious. But I remember seeing him just shake his head like, I'm not fucking coming down there. <laughs> and uh he was sort of an old timer and he was like i'm not i'm not walking down there nope not gonna happen and joe was just like fuck it and he let me go he went over to the ropes he said just hit me with your finisher god damn it so when he came back to me i hit him with my finisher he was hot he was hot as a pistol when we got back to the locker room but oh yeah, man stuff why, like that happens why, this guy, why wouldn't he come down 
He he was just I, I don't know if his knees hurt or what the hell it was. Oh, he it was just, just that like, wasn't even like fuck you, I'm gonna bury you. It was just no, like, no, oh, it wasn't know, like that. It was just like I'm shit. not walking all the way down to the ring for this. <laughs> so is this Kevin Nash? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a very Kevin Nash thing to do. <laughs> Uh, I'm not saying who it was. Oh, uh, it was. Did I get it right? <laughs> He's not saying who no, it is. No, come on. <laughs> yeah, you're getting him in trouble with his what job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He who will remain nameless. Uh, we'll just say uh, Big Daddy Cool Anonymous. Um, I don't know who it is. Um, but uh, yeah, such a crazy industry. Any uh, any things that you've done on the road, partying backstage that you wish you hadn't done? Oh, <laughs> we, we just had, well, I mean, I don't know what you can talk about and still, you know, keep having a family and a marriage, I guess. But we, uh, we had, we had, we just found out, we just had this comic on, uh, a couple episodes ago. Well, I didn't even know he's a pretty standard, but all of a sudden I was like, Hey, anything in college you do that was kind of, he goes, well, yeah, I was a Coke dealer for four years. Real like, brother. What? Where did that come? But I, I, is it, has there been a lot of, uh. Like, holy shit, we've got to get out of this uh, Holiday Inn sort of thing. We're all going to get arrested moments. Mm, no, you know, and, and like I said before, the business has changed a lot. And I think just society's acceptance of things. I mean, you know, you hear about these stories of rock stars trashing hotel rooms and throwing TVs out of the windows. And, um, I mean, right when I got to WWE, I remember – I think Edge and Matt Hardy were involved in something where they they sprayed um they, they pulled a fire extinguisher off the wall and hosed down a room and it was with it wasn't with like the it, it was the foam and the foam went everywhere and they trashed a hotel room and they ended up it was like twenty thousand dollars worth of damage to this oh, hotel. Wow. You know, stuff like that. Those guys did it and they paid for what they did, but Really, at the end of the day, they got a slap on the wrist. You know, they got a they paid for the damages, and that yeah. was it. And nowadays, you're you're done. You're fired. Yeah, immediately. So, well, this is yeah, I guess this I mean, is pre that plane ride from hell. You weren't around the company then when I unfortunately was not around. But I've heard so many amazing stories about that. That's one of my favorite stories that people tell. That plane well, Sean, ride from let me, hell. Because Sean's not really a wrestling fan. Sean, basically, they were doing this European tour, and they were coming back in a plane. And, uh, like, one of the things, like, it was just debauchery. Like, uh, Ric Flair got completely naked besides his robe and started dancing around and, like, hitting flight attendants with his dick. Oh, my God. And then they punched Woo! out. Michael Hayes got punched out by, um, I guess, I, JBL, I heard. They cut his hair off. And then the X-Pac cut his hair off. And Mr. Perfect and Brock Lesnar almost, like, broke through the emergency door while fighting. They, actually, they uh, uh. One of them tackled the other one through the bathroom door, and Triple H was in the bathroom at the time. And Triple H was office. Right, you know, he's uh, basically Vince's right hand man. Uh, yeah, you had Vince trying to choke Kurt Angle out. I guess. Uh, Wait, Vince McMahon tried to choke Kurt Angle out too. Yeah, he was he was goofing off, drunk, and, and he would say, uh, you know, "Hey Matt, go tell Kurt." That the flight attendant up here wants to talk to him. <laughs> and so he would hide around the corner. Matt would go, Kurt, uh, the flight attendant would like to talk to him. <laughs> and after the third or fourth time that this happened, you know, Kurt's like, okay. 
And he'd so get he up, knew it was go, and as soon as he'd get past a certain point, Vince would jump out, jump on his back, put him in a chokehold, which Kurt would handily reverse and uh, you know basically tap Vince out, and then Vince would go back to the first class cabin, and Kurt would go back to wherever he was. And no, now go back and coach. What a fucking maniac! You work for a maniac for years. The guy running the show was a certifiable maniac. (laughs) Very funny guy. I remember uh, flying over to flying over to to Iraq on a flight that was twenty four hours long. You know, it was a really long flight, and uh, we had just we had coolers filled with beer and cases of wine and food and all kinds of other stuff. And I remember at some point seeing like there were people sleeping. And that's a big no-no when, when Vince is in Vince's eyes. Like you sleep when you're dead. Um, yeah, there's no sleeping allowed, and so people were kind of nodding off or sleeping, just full out sleeping. And Vince, I remember he had this big bag of candies, these hard candies, and he was going around. He had this bag tucked underneath his arm, and he would go around it, and he would like crouch down behind one of the seats, and he would peek his head up, and he would fire one of those candies at somebody, and bing. Hit him right in the freaking forehead, and then he would like get back down behind the seat, and he was hiding. And it, it was like it was a amazing child to see a yeah this grown man that, that this billionaire um, just throw candy at people while they're sleeping. Which which you know to me that's the guy was having a good time. He wasn't hurting anybody or anything like that. It was just you know it's just, just so insane. You're just yeah, it's crazy. And to then see. you're the new guy. You get pelted with like a fucking nerd, and then you've got to be like oh. Oh, who's well, then, that? Then Just the guy who determines whether or not I get paid. I, my family eats next month. That's yeah. it. Just I'm that real, guy. Well, that, that's the thing, you know. Uh, at some point, there was a, a a girl sleeping, and she was wearing a white top, and Vince had a glass of wine in his hand, and he sort of like walked over, intentionally walked down the row, and then whoops, spilled the the wine all over her white shirt, and she was in a dead sleep, and she, you know. <laughs> <sighs> and she woke up like, I'm going to kill somebody. And she saw that it was Vince and Vince was like, what are you going to do about it? Ugh. You know, he didn't say that, but that was the kind of look he gave her. And she just basically dusted herself off and went back to sleep. Like, what are you going to do? Oh, oh my God. I feel like that's, <laughs> that's what the, the miracle that... mile kid said around Sandusky. <laughs> <laughs> that's where it goes there's a thin line I guess between funny and creepy with that dude yeah what are you gonna do that's uh yeah it is what it is <laughs> uh yeah so uh, well I mean that's good I don't think anyone over there is probably uh doing that as much over now I feel like it's too corporate that anybody could do that over there you know exactly and that's that's the business has changed so much no, I bet you see a, I mean, it's still a bunch of weird. I bet you still see some weird shit back there, but it's not as. It's yeah, like, I, I, I haven't heard anything crazy like that. I think it's, I, I, from from the most part, what I've heard is that it's it's just as you said, very very corporate over there right now. It's a very corporate environment, which is okay, but but kind of sucks because I mean, those are some of my fondest memories. You know, all that crazy stuff that happened. I mean, it was as crazy as it was. It's it's fun to look back on. You know, it's like, it's, it's almost like hearing about a SNL in the seventies versus now. Like now, it's like, oh yeah, they go to the after party and they dance and they smoke pot 
and they have some beers. I was in the 70s where you're like, Garrett Morris thought that there were aliens in the studio because he was so cracked out. <laughs> you know, like, there's got to be a middle ground there somewhere. Right, right, right. right. Like, who was, uh, wasn't um, Dennis Hopper while they were filming? Uh, Easy Rider? No, the, the, the Vietnam movie. Um, oh, Apocalypse Now. Yeah, didn't they say that he was so like, tripped out on acid all the time? That Yeah. Yeah. Like, that would never happen today, right? No, no way. I, I think like we, I think we were talking about, I forget, we were talking about this on the earlier podcast, but just this story again comes to mind where um, my friend was on that movie, uh, the, um, the Fighter, and Nick yeah. Nolte was on it. And he said, like, Nick Nolte was... No, not The Fighter, it was not the Warrior. Fighter, Warrior, Warrior, sorry, The Warrior. And Nick Nolte was on it, and he was so drunk and incoherent between scenes. But then, as soon as the scene, as soon as he started filming, he'd be like, "Ah, I'm a great actor," you know. <laughs> and then it would just go back to just fucking unintelligible. That's know? crazy. That's crazy. That you were able to do that, yeah. Like you just just come back right into I'm, it. I remember seeing Eddie Guerrero like that. Um, you know, when I first met him. And you got to. I mean, like this is a. You'd say this is a dubious honor of having you wrestled the last match that he ever wrestled you wrestled with yeah him. yeah yeah, yeah um and I, I would see him backstage and it would just be like how is this guy gonna go out there and work because he just looked like he was a mess he was a real bad way huh yeah and not even necessarily that he was uh that he was on drugs because when i when i was wrestling him he was completely cleaned up but he was just beaten and he was beaten down he had he had beaten the hell out of his body for a long time and um, as I said, in, in that company, you're on the road 52 weeks out of the year and you don't get, uh, there's no off season. Um, and some of those guys like Eddie had been doing it for 10 years or more Yeah, at that pace. And so he was just beaten. And I remember just, oh, is this guy going to go out there? And the minute his music would hit and that he'd step out through that curtain, it was like, he got a shot of adrenaline to the heart. It was insane. And then he would wow. come back. He would turn back into the 80-year-old man. With the, the, <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Yeah, it's, cra- it's, it's crazy to me. It just seems like the whole... I mean, it just seems like the whole drug in, uh, in wrestling scandals, the most overblown, where it's like... I mean, like it's like it's, it's, it's choreographed, so why, why should we care who's taking what drug? Do you know what I mean? If there's like... Even if there's like some medical beneficial uses of steroids, you know, I have an inhaler. That's a steroid, you know, mm-hmm. like where is that? It just seems like it's so much more of an outrage. I mean, it seems so much more of a hysterical reaction to steroids and to drugs and wrestling than there actually was evidence for this stuff, you know, really. Like, I don't, you know, like it's, it, you know, I'm, I'm speaking out of turn here, but I don't think steroids make anyone kill anyone. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't seem like that that's. Just seems like something that people latched on to uh, to to try to explain other things that were going wrong, you know, in, in a context for business. I don't know. Maybe I'm at a line there. But. No, I I think you're uh, you hit the nail on the head. Um, speaking about the whole Chris Benoit incident, because I think that's sort of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, like uh, that, and also, you know, I I had seen that, you know, that documentary, uh, Bigger, Stronger, and Faster. Yeah, yeah, like that. That sort of. You know, it was similar along those lines, you know. Well, and, and when Chris Benoit did what he did, a lot of people wanted to sort of neatly package everything into, well, they found steroids in his house and 
he'd been on steroids for a really long time. So it must've been steroids. It was steroids. And, uh, it's possible that steroids contributed in some small way to the overall picture and to, to what happened. But when you step back and you look at the big picture, here was a guy who had been wrestling for 20 years, who was, um, a complete, uh, all or nothing guy. I mean, you either went a hundred miles an hour or you didn't go at all. That was his mentality. Yeah. Um, because he had, he had started out in Japan and in Japan, it's a very, I mean, they beat the snot out of young boys over there. And, uh, you know, they, they make, they teach them, you go, this is, this is how you do things. Um, it's all or nothing. And, uh, and so he had been doing that for 20 years, beat the hell out of his body. Um, I remember going to the gym. I, I was at WrestleMania 22. I didn't perform cause I was injured at the time, but I was at WrestleMania 22 and, and uh, we went to the gym one night and I remember driving over to the gym and he said, Ken, uh, are you going to get married? At the time I was just dating my wife who, who was not my wife. I was just dating her. And uh, I said, you know, I don't know. And he said, make sure, make sure that she's the right one because I will have to work the rest of my life because my ex-wife doesn't want to work and she's lazy. That was, those were his words. Mm-hmm. So you've got, this guy who, again, been working 20 years, busting his ass, he's hurt, he's tired, he's beat up. His ex-wife is taking a large sum of money from him that he in some way feels is unjustifiable. Um, and then his best friend dies. Um, his best friend died, and he um, was not really given any time to mourn that death. I mean, this is his best friend, a guy that he came up in the business with, um, dies tragically. That's Eddie Guerrero. Right. And, um, and you know, he, he wanted some time off. He was given about three months. And I remember him taking that time off. And it seemed like, I mean, when you're on the road at that pace, it's just the weeks and months just fly by. And I remember he, he left and it seemed like somebody, turned the light switch off and turned it back on. He was back and he didn't look to me at the time. I remember thinking like, he doesn't look any better because usually when guys take time off, they come back, they're refreshed, they're rested. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't seem that way to me. And so you've got all these things. And yeah. then and, and suppose his, this was his, this was his ex-wife because he had a first wife. Yeah. Yep. And then now, when you and obviously, story, you know, no, no, no amount of alimony, don't do that, audience. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not like, yeah, yeah, giving him. I'm not excusing the, his what he did. <laughs> I'm just saying that all Take of these, life, all please. of these I... things contributed to what he did. And then, you, when you hear about the fact that Nancy was getting ready to divorce him or thinking about divorcing him, now he's tired. He's beat up. Oh, so Nancy was his second wife. I'm sorry. Yeah, and so Nancy was going to leave him too, and now he's going to have to pay her alimony as well. And you've got this guy that feels backed into a corner, like I'm never going to get out of this. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to have to wrestle for the rest of my life. And I think he snapped, you know. And right. Well, do you think too that, of course, like the the concussions (laughs) probably played a huge part of that too. Oh, absolutely. When you when you um, listen to the when you look at the medical reports. He had the, they said that he had the brain of like an 80 year old man with Alzheimer's well, yeah. disease. So, oh, wow. I mean, and, and like I said, he was a guy that 
went balls to the walls all the time. So he was he was constantly getting concussed because that's the way he wrestled. Uh, you yeah. know, the mat hard. Every time he took bumps, they were hard bumps. You watch his matches. He when he hits, and when he got hit, it was a, you know, it was a solid hit every time. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's painful looking. To be honest, not as painful as Great Kali walking to the ring. That's the most painful looking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> this guy is like an eight foot tall wrestler. Oh, really? He just looks like he shouldn't be walking. Yeah, right. That's you know always I mean? the case when they have that, that but, tall. Yeah, I mean it's 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 uh, it was one of those things. But yeah, then the 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 uh, the, the match of what it hit was like you watch his matches and they're amazing. The Benoit matches were out of this world. Yeah, so, there were never any holes in anything that he did. There was never anything that you ah oh, that looked like crap. You know, it no. was just. Everything he did looked good. Looked like it was real. Yeah. Because it was. <laughs> sometimes sometimes you just need to do the Hulk Hogan ear thing. People not, who want to get in their Chris Benoit. No yeah, Chris please, Benoit. please make sure to Rikishi dance instead of doing the diving headbutt. Right, right. From now on. Yeah, I remember uh, when I first started wrestling, I, had, I was probably 15 matches in, and I had... I, dove off the top turnbuckle onto this guy on the ground and he sort of sidestepped me and I ended up lawn jarting into the into the ground. And I ended up sending that tape for some reason. I, I sent that tape to the WWE. You know, I was trying to get a look. And um, I remember Kevin Kelly calling me back and saying, uh, yeah, I watched your tape. Uh, I saw that spot where you jumped off the top rope and landed on the ground. Uh you want a piece of advice? And I said, absolutely, please. And he's like, ah, stop doing that shit. <laughs> he's like, you want, if you want your career to last, did Hulk Hogan ever jump off the top rope? Nope. Did Stone Cold Steve Austin ever jump off the rope? How about The Rock? How about, and he just went down the list and was like, no. all these guys that made a lot of money in the business never had to do that. Yeah. Kevin Kelly's, uh, his, uh, I don't know if you heard his Place to Be podcast where he, breaks down his time of being with the company and it's like really fucking funny a lot of it. No, I haven't. I haven't. I'm sure he's got great stories though cuz yeah. So honest by the end of it he goes, "Oh, at this time uh, I was afraid for my job." <laughs> he just like blatantly comes out and says all the shit I think like other people would but too nervous to say, but uh you know, I feel like in any of these uh you know, like you know, anytime there's a horrible tragedy whether it's like a you know, like a, a Benoit situation or a Phil Hartman situation. Anything that like, yeah, so, well, no, I'm just thinking about comedy oh, comparison. Oh, oh, oh. Where somebody like at the end of it, there's like, you know, yeah, that wrestler. Somebody's Phil no, 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 the <laughs> where somebody uh, something awful happens. There's immediately vultures come in and they're like, how can we make this spin about this. whatever? It's how can we spin it. this? Yeah. You know, it's like almost similar to like you know when the uh, this is. I just read this book on uh, Columbine. And where they made this whole uh, thing about these kids were, oh, well, they were picked on at school. And then you read the book and you realize, oh, they weren't picked on at school, you know? Like, this really? Just a, no, uh, no yeah. I mean, like, they, were, they weren't, like, the most popular people in the world, but they, they also had a weren't, bunch like, of friends. Yeah, the trench coat mafia, for instance, that wasn't a real thing. That, that was a media thing. creation, yeah. you know? So I think a lot of people just jump in on when something horrible happens. It's like, all right, well, how can we make money? Or how can I push my own thing to sell my fucking book, you know? That's crazy how people will just jump onto something and not really do their own homework, you know? Yeah. 
I was just watching a documentary last night, uh, The Birth Lottery, which I found it on Amazon Prime. I don't know. It might be on Netflix. And it basically, uh, there was this study done in the 50s, 50s or 60s, where they basically had two people. One of them was um, an actor, and one of them was a guy they pulled off the street. And they gave him, like, a hat, and they made, you know, they pretended like they were mixing up um, these two pieces of paper, and they each had them draw out of the hat. And one of them was going to be the teacher, and one of them was going to be the student. And uh, they basically had the mark or the, the, you know, the guy that was pulled off the street act as the, as the teacher. And they had this, and they, and they would, in front of the teacher, they would hook the quote student up to electrodes. And then they would say, we're going to take him behind uh, this panel that you won't be able to see him, but you'll be able to hear him. And you're going to teach him these words. And every time that he makes a mistake, you're going to flip a switch in the, oh, in the switch. And the switch will electrocute him. Now, it'll hurt him. It'll be painful, but it won't be dangerous. And, I mean, the, the they had, like, 50 switches, and it went from, like, you know, 25 volts all the way up to – and at the bottom it said, um, you know, no harm to very dangerous. And basically they would flip the switch. You know, every time the guy would, quote, screw up, they would flip the switch. And they said about 65% of the people would go all the way to the end. The guy's fucking screaming at the end. Ah! Ah! <laughs> and, and then only, you know, 35% of the people would say, like, uh, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. You know? And it just goes to show how most people are willing to just be sheep. And do what and, they're told, yeah. Yeah. And well, just it's a hopeful. Hey. Uh, you know what? 65% is actually hopeful for me. I thought it was going to be high. <laughs> I actually thought it was going to be like like 10% of people were like, maybe we shouldn't electrocute this dude. <laughs> right, right. Um, oh, so kind of interesting. Yeah, totally. And I get, I, you know, like, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we were actually talking about this day. I guess the last thing, we try to get off a little bit more of a, a depressing topic. But uh, <laughs> what do you think is the worst wrestling gimmick of all time? And we came, we kept going back and forth between like, Mantar, Man Mountain Rock, or uh, Gobbledygooker. But uh, do you think there's something worse than that? That oh, Gobbledygooker oh. one was unbelievably it, bad. It's pretty bad. Yeah, I'm not a. I was not a huge fan of uh, you know from when I was with the company. Uh, Big Vito started doing this gimmick where he was a uh, he wore a dress. Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> he went from like yeah. the full blooded Italian right to the. But he, yeah, full blooded, but, but you know, Vince wanted him to be. You're still a tough guy. You're a tough guy who wears a dress. <laughs> it's a tough dress. And yeah, so I, I yeah, but it's interesting. I just found out that Hector Guerrero, who is one of our announcers, he's on the Spanish announcing. He was the gobbledygooker. He was the gobbledygooker. I didn't know that. <laughs> There's a reason you don't know that, because he didn't let you know that. <laughs> but I, he was the one that told me, actually, uh, just recently. We were having a conversation, and he, he told me about the whole thing. And he told me that, like, when he went to the ring, he couldn't see. He couldn't see anything because, um, All the good. I guess, the eyes were made out of this white material. And during the day, they, um, they did the run-through, and they didn't have the lights in the arena on, so he could see it. But when they actually did it, he said when they turned those lights on, he said he couldn't see anything through the, through the aisles. So he's literally like uh, feeling his way to the ring like a blind person because he was blind. 
And so, you know what it's almost like? It's almost like if, like, you get your big chance, like, you're about to do late night TV as a stand-up. And right before you go on, you're like, I know you've been trying to hone this act for seven years. But do it in well, Spanish. Yeah, we're going to actually make you do Spanish and Whoopi Goldberg's material. <laughs> so make it work, please. But anyway, Ken, thank you so much for uh, having us on. You also do some work with the uh, Wounded Warriors Project, right? I wanted to make sure we mentioned that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, great organization. Uh, we just, actually, I just came to New York and did a, a soldier ride um, with a bunch of the Wounded Warriors. So, yeah, we're, we work with them and, uh, you know, I don't know if I can plug my podcast, but yes, uh, please, of course, please. yeah, definitely. This is probably it's, uh, not coming out the, until about push the button. October, so we're very backloaded. So yeah, anything the, uh, in October, November, please. Yeah, the uh, the name of my podcast is Push the Button, so I can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, all that old good stuff. I don't really know anything else uh, as far as like where you can find us because I am illiterate when it comes to. You it's, know. It push the button isn't a lost reference, is it? <laughs> uh, no, Sorry. although it could be, it could be, yeah, it could be. because because when you listen to our podcast, uh, we start out with five questions, and at the end of the podcast, we you you leave with with twenty. Yeah, we never really answer anything. We just go round and round in circles, and then we end. That'd be because. fun. You should do the last episode. We're like. Just joking, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's the end of it. <laughs> this whole time was a rib. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're in purgatory. Yeah, they're in purgatory. You were going to help. And, and then, of course, uh, you, um, I forget what what what, what, uh, in t what TNA pay-per-views are in October and November, but um, something. Uh, well, you, yeah, you have I, a site, I, a yeah. website? Yeah, TNA. Website, uh, impactwrestling.com. Um, and uh, th that'll have a, the tour schedule, pay-per-view schedule, television schedule. Um, we've been doing a lot of shows in New York City, so I hope you guys come out and check out a show. Um, we're going we're, we're gonna to be taping at the uh, Manhattan Center, August oh, 4th, 5th, and 6th. I'm the Manhattan Center. Um, and that'll be probably, we'll do two tapings a night, so it'll be six huge television tapings from uh, from the Manhattan Center. It's a really awesome venue to, to perform out of. In, oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Cool. So, Thank you yeah. so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, it. Ken. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Yep. Appreciate you having me on. Right. You got Thank it. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to the My Dumb Friends podcast. To see our hosts live and in person this week, Sean Donnelly will be at the Hard Rock in Cleveland Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Dan St. Germain makes a triumphant return to New York City with several shows this coming Saturday, the 30th, at both The Stand and Stand Up New York in New York City, and Sunday, August 31st at The Knitting Factory. Thomas Attila Lewis, the guy that's speaking right now, can be seen on Wednesday, August 27th, at the historic Proctor's Theater in Schenectady, New York, in their kind of creepy, dark, underground space. But for more dates, please go to SeanDonnellyComedy.com, DanStGermain.net, and TomDog.com. Thanks, and please keep writing in.
Thank you for listening to yet another episode of the My Dumb Friends podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Leave us a review and give us a rating. It'd really help us out. Please follow us on Twitter at DumbFriendsCast. And you can send us an email at MyDumbFriendsPodcast at gmail.com. The My Dumb Friends Podcast is part of the All Things Comedy Network. To hear other great comedy podcasts, go to allthingscomedy.com. Our opening and closing music is by Phil Pickens. You can find more of his music at philpickens.com. P-I-C-K-E-N-S. And I still have another round left in me So lift me up Lift me up